We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This week on The Timeline. We hear from Suns fans directly in the first Hot Take Hotline segment. Plus, Jackson Frank on Mikhail Bridges. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast, the podcast where we are willing to torture ourselves by continuing to watch the Suns for your pleasure. Uh, my name is Mike Vigil. Sam Cooper, how are you doing? I've been better, Mike. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> for you guys out there listening to this one, we had to delay this episode by uh, just a day because my, my voice <laughs> didn't sound like this a couple of days ago, but uh, you know, I'm feeling a lot better now. Uh, not too happy with the results of the Suns game that just that just went down. Yeah, if you weren't sick already, I think you might be sick now because it hasn't been fun to watch. So the Oklahoma City Phoenix Suns uh, game just ended in a game where Robertson and Westbrook were not playing. Robertson's out for a while. Westbrook's out for the last few games in this game. And the Suns did terribly. Once again, they started the game really badly. It, there was a 20-point deficit within the first few minutes of the game, essentially, uh, by the end of the first quarter. And uh, they just couldn't get anything done on offense. Defense lazy um, and late on a lot of rotations. Uh, what did you think of this game, Sam? Uh, well, it, it was terrible for the first two and a half quarters. It was terrible for the first, like, maybe 30 minutes of it. And then the team just woke up in the second half of the third quarter and really went on a run. The only positive to take away from this game, obviously, is Mikael Bridges. Finished with 13 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists, a steal, and 2 blocks tonight. Um, not perfect, of course, and, and I guess we're going to get to that a little bit later as we discuss Mikael Bridges sort of extensively in, in this episode. Um, but it's looking more and more like Mikael Bridges is definitely a guy that deserves a starting rotation spot uh, for the Suns going forward. It's not going to be a magic fix. This team lost by 17 tonight when the Thunder didn't have Westbrook and uh, Roberson, as you mentioned. They lost by a lot to the Pelicans the other night when the Pelicans didn't have Miritich 
and Peyton. So, you know, it's not just like inserting Mikhail Bridges because he gives effort into the starting lineup is going to be a magic fix for the Suns. But uh, if there is any positive to take away from this game, it's that that could maybe make this team a little bit better. And what what is that starting lineup to you? Who does he replace? Well, it was kind of interesting because sort of uh, down the stretch in the fourth quarter, we finally got a glimpse of a lineup that I think Suns fans had wanted to see for a while, which is point book uh, along with three wings. Those three wings this time being Mikhail Bridges. Uh, Trevor Reza and TJ Warren with his new look shot in theory perfect floor spacing uh, and then DeAndre Ayton at the five that lineup actually didn't do too well in the few minutes they played together Um, Mm -hmm. but I think that ideal starting lineup it's tough Uh, right now I'm leaning towards Mikhail Bridges at the three TJ Warren at the four Um, I think TJ Warren has done far too good of a job in these past few games as a starting power forward to relegate him back to the bench and um, obviously Ayton's going to stay in his spot at the five Booker's going to stay in his spot at the two which really just leaves you to the point guard situation, which is still, of course, a huge problem. Isaiah Cannon finished with one point tonight on O of three shooting. Um, you and I were chatting about this b- before we went on formally to record, but just you know, he can't he can't play make for other players. He can't do yeah. anything on offense really, except uh, mm-hmm. pass pass around the perimeter. And when we get to the hot take uh, segment that we're going to do on this episode, where you guys actually gave us a lot of uh, your thoughts. Uh, as listeners, a lot of you have been complaining about Isaiah Kanan, which is totally fair. Um, unfortunately, the the problem isn't so simple. Jamal Crawford, this may have been his first good game of the season. I wouldn't be ready to put him into the starting lineup. Elia Kobo, while I like the potential there, he really hasn't shown enough either uh, to be a consistent starting point guard. So the solution has to come from outside. Yeah, it, the clock's on. The clock's on for James Jones. Uh, it's been very bad, and, and you've seen Devin Booker's body language get worse and worse and worse over the last few games. And at this point, something has to change, not just to make the team better, but because they need some sort of change. And I don't think it's coming with Igor. I think some people have sort of thought that this 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 is looking real bad for Igor. Maybe he'll be fired soon. And God, that, that would be insane. I just feel so bad for the players if they have to endure another coach again. Uh, and I don't really, I tend to defend coaches and we'll talk more about this in, in, in our next segment, but uh, I don't think that that's coming down. So I think now is the time. If anything pushes this team to make a trade, it's going to be the last few games because teams are figuring us out. So the, the, it's more than just not having a point guard at this point, because what's happening now is Every team is involving Isaiah Kanan and DeAndre Ayton in the pick and roll in order mm-hmm. to score. And it's working. It's working yeah. really well. Because what happens in that case is Isaiah Kanan can't help on a big man. Um, DeAndre Ayton appears to show or at least push up uh, on every single pick and roll. And that leaves a big man open to roll to the basket. We saw Steven Adams dominate. Some of that was in isolation. Some of that, some of that was on pick and rolls. But what else it does is it, it, it leaves Devin Booker on, on off-ball defense. Devin Booker is a much worse off-ball defender than he is an on-ball defender. So if you're running a pick and roll with Isaiah Cannon and DeAndre Ayton, you have options all over the floor, basically. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a good situation, and, and that's, that's got to be uh, fixed. And it is weird to think that we have Mikhail Bridges, who's a great defender, and DeAnthony Melton, who's, who could be a great NBA defender, we don't really know yet, just not playing when we have this terrible uh, um, defense on the, on the floor right now. So something's got to change, and, and I, I think maybe that this, this last game and the last few games might be the catalyst to actually make that change. It's kind of scary, though, right? It being in a position with no leverage. Yeah, it's really scary. And honestly, with this many blowouts in a row, I don't expect any of the deep bench guys on this roster to truly make a a difference. But 
it is maybe a little bit no. surprising. Troy Daniels kind of played a, a decent role on the Jay Triano Suns last year. Now, I say that hesitantly because he is not a solution defensively, although he does provide floor spacing. You know, I'm a little surprised Igor hasn't tried to kick the tires on either Troy Daniels or, or Dragon Bender right. whatsoever uh, in the past five games with this many blowout losses in a row. Wouldn't expect it to be a huge fix, but but you never know what sort of lineups and rotations you may be able to stumble uh, stumble into. Let's get into the, the the next segment here because I think we have enough of uh, Suns fans who called in and talked to us to actually uh, stir some more conversation about these specific topics. And then coming up after the hot take segment here, uh, I interviewed Jackson Frank, uh, a, a great basketball writer about Mikhail Bridges directly. So you'll hear a lot more Mikhail Bridges talk. And even uh, for, for those of you who are interested in the idea, idea of a point guard trade, I pitched a few point guard trades to him since he writes about the Philadelphia 76ers and they have a few point guards on that team that could be moved at some point. So stick around. That's going to be coming up. So this segment that we're about to get into, though, this is our hot take hotline. Um, what it is, it's a voicemail that we set up that's open 24 7 24 hours a day seven days a week that suns fans or other people i guess can call and leave us voicemails about the team they can be hot takes they can be thoughts on the roster they can be insane ramblings and rants um thoughts about robert sarver whatever you want to call us um we'll listen to them we'll respond to them now i did edit them a little bit um we did get quite a bit so i'm sorry if you don't hear yours on the podcast uh just keep calling us eventually you'll probably get on we we love it thank you everyone who's called us so let's get right into it this will be the Hot Take Hotline. Does anyone smell anything smoky? Oh, my God. Uh, oh, my God. Fire! Oh, fire. Oh, my goodness. What's the procedure? Once again, thank you, everyone who called us. This is a really fun uh, idea. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Uh, we get to hear from you directly. So uh, let's go directly into our first call here it's halftime against the celtics and we are up by 20 and held them to 35 my hot take is that they score under (laughs) 70 points this game (laughs) hopefully we can handle that all right thanks oh no that's really what we're gonna start with I wanted to set expectations properly here because I'm sorry to that guy who called in. Uh, <laughs> these calls came all over the course of the last week. And uh, yeah, that, that game, that Celtics game was a, a big uh, stir of conversation for Suns fans, whether it be calling us uh, on Reddit, on Twitter. That, that Celtics game, it, it was dramatic. It was very dramatic. And it's kind of interesting, you know, after all the blowouts over and over and over again, to have a game like that, you thought they're finally responding. They're finally looking good. And uh, that was the result. Um, there was a lot of positives. I do think there was a lot of positives in that game, though. There were, but but just what a fleeting moment of optimism for the Suns fan base was that game, <laughs> to, to see it all go away. But of course, there were, there were a lot of positives in that game for the most part. And, uh, you know, the Suns stuck with it until the end against a very good team. And then their defense absolutely collapsed uh, in the in the final 10 or so minutes of the game. Yeah. And we have a whole section here of people who called us about uh, that game specifically. So let's get th- get to that in a second. But let's go to our second call here. This is a call number two. This one's related to uh, Tyson Chandler and how Tyson Chandler's been moved. So uh, let's take a listen to that one. Hey, what's going on? It's Nick I'm from New York. I'm a pretty big Suns fan. I've been watching them the past couple of years play. And honestly, 
you know, I think the Suns made a huge mistake trading Tyson Chandler. Hmm. Did you see him play on the Lakers last night against the Timberwolves? <laughs> and yet the Suns still have Ariza, Anderson. <laughs> What's that? That's garbage. I don't know. That was a big mistake. This guy's actually playing defense. Maybe the Suns could have motivated this guy, Tyson Chandler, and you could have had a good backup center. Because we all know Aiden is good, but come on, once he's off, once he's off the court, what's happening? What was happening? So, I think you made a big mistake. Thanks for taking my call, Timeline. I appreciate your time. <laughs> I love this call. This calls, I love this call for a couple of reasons. These calls also, by the way, these calls all came over the course of the last week, so they're all at different timelines. Uh, he called after the uh, Timberwolves game. Tyson Chandler just had another uh, defensive stop against the Hawks uh, that resulted in a win here. Goal 10. A couple of things. Yeah, a goal 10. <laughs> a couple of things on this call. First off, thanks, Nick, for giving us a call. Um, your accent's fantastic. I like the way you say, Ariza. Anderson, I just like that part a lot. <laughs> but uh, the other thing I like is the point he brings up of why couldn't the Suns motivate Tyson Chandler? Now, this seems to be a recurring theme with this team. Tyson Chandler looked like absolute garbage on this team. He looked really terrible. He was not even lifting his hands to attempt to contest shots. Now, whether that be on the perimeter or at the rim, he's looked pretty bad. He, he goes to the Lakers. Of course, it had to be the Lakers. He goes to the Lakers, and he actually looks pretty good. And this has been a conversation sort of around the team for the last few days. And uh, Jared Dudley chimed in. Sam, did you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask you if you saw that. So. Yeah, so Jared Dudley said, uh, stop blaming the players. It's the culture. He specifically cited the culture with the Suns. Now, this Jared Dudley has been a staunch defender of the Suns now, seemed to be turning his back on the team. That hurts. That one hurts kind of kind of a lot. It, it gives me it, pause, I guess you could say. I, it, it starts to chip away at any sort of hope that you have as a Suns fan that this can be fixed. Um, what do you think about this whole situation and Tyson Chandler, Sam? Well, with regard to what Dudley said, on the one hand, I sympathize with the point. You remember, Mike, we had Yusuf Salim on our, um, our podcast a few weeks ago, and he talked about this notion of professionalism and, and culture starting at the top. It's, it's something we've touched on multiple times before, and I think it's true. On the other hand, I get this notion that being a player for the Phoenix Suns has to be the easiest job in the world, because all I keep hearing from these veterans is, whether it's Chandley, uh, Chandler, <laughs> whether it's Jared Dudley, is that it's okay for these guys to not take their job seriously despite being paid millions of dollars to help reset this culture and then turn around and blame the system and accept no personal blame for the, for the way that they played while they were in a Phoenix Suns uniform. I, I mean, what other, what other NBA team can you go and do that? Well, that's the scary part. You know, if these types of situations and tweets, it has me thinking, are we the Kings now? Essentially, now the Kings are actually starting out yeah. pretty well this season. And it's like, what what, what are the Suns then at this point? What, what can the Suns actually be? Um, one thing I do want to talk about since we haven't talked about it yet uh, is, well, first off, I, I will say Tyson Chandler, regardless of whether or not He's playing well right now. He wasn't playing well here, and I think that's no. a bad example to set for the the rookies that we have here. And Rashawn Holmes is putting in a lot of effort on this team, so I'm glad that those minutes are with Rashawn Holmes regardless. I, I do feel kind really of bad quickly, that the Suns are in, unable to motivate him. but Really quickly to that point, Tyson Chandler allowed opponents to shoot 71% yeah. from inside of six feet 
while he was with the Suns this year, Rashawn Holmes so far is allowing 45%. It's, yeah. In terms of the effort that these guys are putting in on the glass and how they're contesting shots, there's, it's no contest. So, Tyson was the second worst in the league in that stat. Um, the third worst, DeAndre Ayton, sadly. Uh, but what I want to talk about is there was a report that talked about how LeBron called in a favor to get Tyson Chandler. I just don't believe that. Now, a couple things on that. We First off, the it was Bleacher Report that reported that, and they cited an anonymous rival GM, which makes no sense. They weren't involved with the conversations. They have no idea what happened. The other thing is we were trying to buy him out ahead of time, and he did not have any teams that would sign him. So he did not, the reports previously, this was before this uh, report about the favor that he called in, uh, the reports previously were that he was waiting for another team to be ready so that when he was bought out, he could immediately play again. So basically what we waited for was a team to be desperate enough to sign Tyson Chandler in order to buy him out. That's all it took. Previously, no team even wanted him. Uh, no team needed him, I guess is a better way to say it. And and once the Lakers got to the point where they were desperate enough that they needed a player like that, they did. And you know what? Here's what I will say. Tyson Chandler, you got to be more professional. You have to give that same effort here in Phoenix. You are setting a bad example. Making excuses about the team, whether you blame it on the culture or not, you're not going to fix it. Like Players have to be involved in fixing the culture. So take some responsibility as someone who's a, signed on a team to be a veteran leader, someone who is a champion, someone who's a defensive player of the year. You have young people looking up to you. You should give an effort no matter where you play. I feel for you. I wouldn't want to work for Robert Sarver either, but come on. You have to give some sort of effort. Tyson Chandler, I actually really liked you. I'm disappointed. Yeah. I'm really disappointed to see you putting an effort like this in. With I know it's one of our biggest rivals, so I take it a little personally, uh, but it's just really sad to see that that these guys can't take some own their own personal responsibility in these situations. Right. That's that's exactly what I was trying to get at before. It's, it's all about personal responsibility. It's really easy to go around and, and blame the system, but at a certain level, I mean, why did we bring in these veterans in the first place? Tyson Chandler accepted, what was it, $48 million, $50 million, uh, what was the exact total? $54 million from yeah, the Phoenix Suns? Something Sons? like that. Something, something like that. that. Um, as part of a culture reset. Now, of course, the real reason might have been that the Suns were trying to lure in LaMarcus Aldridge that offseason, but, but also then it was played off as a culture reset, and that just never happened while he was a member of this team. So, you know, it's it's not just a case where he can blame the system. Right. And the other thing is, if you really want to leave too, play well, right? That's the best way to raise your value enough that people will want to trade for you. And it's it's a the, the hardest part is this transformation in Tyson Chandler's defensive ability. It's effort. It's entirely effort. He's trying harder, and that's literally all it is. And that that's that's kind of sad when you're watching him here in Phoenix and you think he's done, and maybe he's not. Um, let's move on to the next one. This is our third one here. Uh, let's take a listen. Hey, I just wanted to say, um, first off, really enjoy the podcast. Thank you, thank you, um, thank you. I'm here from Morgantown, West Virginia. From right now, after buying out Tyson Chandler, have an open roster spot, you know. And they really haven't, we haven't heard any news about possibly signing anybody. And there's a name I was thinking about, a guy that you kind of forget about, um, Patrick McCaw, so for you, you know, Josh Jackson having a cold streak. <laughs> you know, you can't really count on Jamal Crawford. Kobo, you know, inconsistent, you know, and they could use all the help they can get because right now, you know, Warren, Booker, and Aiden are all having to play a lot of minutes. Another guy out there, Brandon Jennings, you know, 
you know, I'm just thinking, Sun's open roster spot, you know, I think they should do something. No point in wasting it. You know, like I said, enjoy the podcast, keep it up, and I look forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you sending that call. Um, so, Sam, first off, uh, Carmelo Anthony is officially available. No, stop, <laughs> Mike. Please. You don't know I don't want that. Me. I don't think I've I don't think I've disliked a player more than Carmelo Anthony in my basketball watching time as an adult here. So um, I don't want that. And anyone suggesting that I don't know. Maybe I'll have to ban you if you're posting it in Reddit. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just no no Carmelo Anthony there. But we do have a roster spot. So one, a couple things I want to talk about. Pat McCaw is actually a restricted free agent. It, it's a very weird situation that he's going uh, through in Golden State. Um, I don't know what the uh, deal is with him. I know in some cases, restricted free agents can't be traded uh, when uh, they've actually signed their uh, qualifying offer, but I don't think that he signed his qualifying offer, so I don't know if there's any situation where he can be moved. It's a weird situation with him. Uh, I would definitely uh, imagine that the Suns have called and, and see uh, to see what's going on there and to see if he's available. The other one is Brandon Jennings. I don't know that he would help at this point. That's basically, to me, that's basically Jamal Crawford. It's the same thing. I don't, I don't know how, how much he would help. But, but we do have an open roster spot. Well, we do have an open roster spot. Brandon Jennings is somehow worse than Jamal Crawford. Over his last <laughs> three seasons of the league, he's got a 48% true shooting. Those are Josh Jackson numbers, so... Um, I would say we don't need another one of those on the team. Any ideas for that roster spot? Uh, it's an interesting proposition. I can't, I can't think of any open <laughs> free agents off the top of my head. No. I mean, there's To be none. perfectly honest with you, look, I like Pat McCaw. He's a good defensive player, but he does nothing to fix this dead last in the league offense. Absolutely nothing at all when it comes to that. Um, and if you look at the numbers, he was actually one of only two Warriors players on their roster last year to have a negative net rating while they were on the court. I believe it was uh, him and Quinn Cook. Um, and then, you know, they were the, sort of the only two that were kind of maybe in a sense dragging that team down a little bit. Um, I think I think the open roster spot really comes into play when you're talking about trades and you're talking about the ability to trade two for one. Um, mm-hmm. is, is something that the Suns might be able to do. Now, in what sort of situation, if the Suns are buyers theoretically at the deadline, would they even be prepared to give away a valuable asset trading one player for two, I can't really think of a situation in which that would maybe be necessary unless maybe you're mm-hmm. taking on some sort of dead cap, uh, kind of dead salary contract to assist in a trade. Yeah, there's not a lot of options right now as far as free agents go. I, I, I'm going to say it, there's none. There just is none. If there were options that could help solve the problem that we have right now, we would have signed them. Those guys are desperate to be on NBA teams, and they would play for the Suns right now if there was any chance of them being any better than Isaiah Kanan. Uh, I just don't see that being a solution. I do think you're right, Sam. I think we're going to hold on to that roster spot. Um, newly signed free agents can be traded as early as December 15th. I think that the likelihood is that we hold on to that roster spot until at least that time. If yeah. no deals can be made quickly I mean, after that December 15th time, then maybe something else. Now that I think about it, you've got Trevor Reese's one-year $15 million deal. Um, if some contending teams are interested in potentially trading for that come January, you can trade Ariza for some sort of maybe young point guard who doesn't make as much money as well as some sort of contract to make the the salaries work uh, going back and forth. So that's a sort of situation yeah. where having an open roster spot is uh, very useful. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I threw uh, some Trevor Ariza trades around with uh, Jackson Frank at the end of this episode. So stick around for that. Um, let's move on to some of the calls we got from that uh, in and around the time of that Celtics uh, overtime killer. 
Yeah, uh, Terry Rozier is gonna play his fucking ass off tonight. <laughs> Alright, this team needs Terry Rozier and he's gonna prove it right here tonight. <laughs> That's not authentic. It's a short authentic, one. Is it? No way. I don't know. <laughs> You're the one on the East Coast, Sam. You should be able to recognize yeah, these yeah, accents. No, no fucking clue. I stay as far away from Boston as possible. Yeah, you and the rest of us, but Terry Rozier. Let's talk about Terry Rozier. So, you have some thoughts on Terry Rozier. Now, he's a potential trade target for the Phoenix Suns. Now, you've been tweeting about it. Tell us what you think, Sam. Uh, look, I mean, what else is there to say other than Terry Rozier is uh, overrated as they co- as as is any player from the Boston Celtics system. Um, you talked about, you tweeted out, actually, I'm going to throw it right back at you, Mike. Did mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. or did you not tweet out that Terry Rozier in starts last year for the Boston Celtics Average, mm-hmm. what was it, 16 points, three rebounds, five assists, something like that? Yes, Maybe. in bad shooting. In bad shooting, maybe somewhere around there. That would, Now, mind you, we're not talking about his playoff uh, performances when obviously he was he was pretty good, um, but we're just talking about regular season performances. So I just, I just did a little research, looked at some other young point mm-hmm. guards around the league who were averaging similar mm-hmm. numbers and who started at least 10 games last season. Some of the names you can come up with on that list who matched similar production to Terry Rozier when right. they started, but then you compare the levels of hype for those players. First of all, you've got a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, averaged 14.7 assists in games that he started last year on much better shooting than Terry Rozier. You've got a guy, another Nets point guard right now, actually, Shabazz Napier, was a very good productive backup for Portland last year. He only started 10 games, but in those 10 games, he averaged 16-4-4 four four on better shooting than Terry Rozier. And then you see mm-hmm. Shabazz Napier. Now, granted, he's a, he's a couple years older. But then you see Shabazz Napier go and sign for, I think, two years, $8 million in Brooklyn. So if you look mm-hmm. at that type of production for a backup point guard, there's this disconnect in my mind where I just don't see how Terry Rozier is possibly a 15 to $20 million point guard on the free agent market this year, especially not uh, if he continues to play like he has been so far this season. Yeah, it's kind of funny that they've had multiple guys uh, in now Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier, point guards who can't shoot, saying that they deserve $20 million a year. Yeah, <laughs> uh, They have two guys who want that. Um, I tweeted out that st- those stats specifically because a lot of people say, okay, Terry Rozier, yeah, he might not be great coming off the bench right now, but he thrives in a starting role. And I was wondering if that was true. I'll be honest. I was hoping it was, of course, because I'm looking for a solution as much as anyone else is. So I pulled those stats looking up his starting um, stats, and they're not better. They're really not. They're better in that he gets more minutes, so he has the opportunity to score more points. But his shooting is so bad. No, Of course, he would help us defensively. Of course he would help us defensively, but he's not a playmaker, which is what the system needs. No. And he's a good shooter. I'll give him credit for that. He's an horrific finisher actually a horrific finisher when it mm-hmm. comes to finishing at the yeah. rim i just i don't i don't get it and i promise i'm not yeah. trying to be picky because there are many many point guards that i would be happy to take on this team at this point but rogier i just don't see how that's the answer yeah i don't i don't think it's gonna happen either uh, danny Ainge said they're not looking to trade him there's no reason for him to say they are even if they are so it's hard to really take that at face value but i don't know it's it doesn't seem like it's gonna happen uh, let's get to our next call here. This one is a montage. So we got a lot of <laughs> calls after the fun. Celtics game. <laughs> this one was really fun. <laughs> and I wanted, to, I wanted to put it together so that people could understand exactly what we were looking at coming out of this game. This call, or these calls that we're about to hear, 
they're pretty representative of how Suns fans have felt after every game. So even though this is reactions directly to the Celtics game, uh, I think that it's more of a distillation of uh, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube comments uh, in all these Suns environments, basically into uh, some frustrated people who represent exactly how we feel. So there's a couple facts in here. This one's a little long. Me and Sam will have an opportunity to uh, react to it right after, but let's get let's get straight to it. I just wanted to say I don't think after the Celtics loss, um, I'm not sure um, if your Igor Kokoskov is necessarily the best defensive coach. Mm. We obviously did see some definite positives in that game. A lot more effort, at least through three quarters, which is something we haven't seen much all season. Cannon was in, and Cannon could, I mean, the whole game, Kyrie was torching him whenever he wanted. Uh, the obvious, Suns need to make a change of point guard, uh, but they can't wait for a trade to do that. Cannon was horrible last night. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious his D and basketball intelligence is not there. This isn't well. much of a hot take. I'm just f***ing pissed at what I just saw. <laughs> How do you keep Cannon in there? Play defense like a soggy f***ing turnip out there. <laughs> Brandon Knight would have at least looked like oh, no. he was in pain getting his ankles broken by Kyrie again, but no, oh, no. no. Isaiah Cannon wasn't going to run an offense for the last five minutes of the game. Then what do you have him in for? You know, he can't rebound. He can't play defense. So basically, I guess my hot take would be uh, I don't think Igor's necessarily a defensive coach. I think he's simply just kind of like an offensive coordinator, and that's it. Um, I think the biggest uh, bullshit from that game, bottom line, was Igor's rotations. 11 games in, it remains the same. I don't think anybody mm-hmm. understands why Igor does the rotations he does. Down the stretch, I would have said as soon as we started to fall apart in the fourth quarter, uh, with five minutes left or so, I think every Suns fan would agree. That should have been Mikhail Bridges' time with Booker at the one, Bridges at the two. Um, next, it would be Josh Jackson. I think what the coaching staff is doing to him from a rotation standpoint at this point is darn near criminal. <laughs> they need to have him in the game, getting reps, getting minutes, getting into a rhythm out there, and he's not able to do that on four and five minutes per game. How, how are you going to play with my emotions like that? The only reason I root for this team is because I live in this f***ing city. <laughs> how do you how do you choke something like that so f***ing hard? Especially the coach. Even feels like blasting me saying it now because of how excited I was for his signing. I thought he was going to be the next big thing running a motion offense all this, this and that. Even Booker liked it. That way we at least have Bridges out there for his defense to help shut down. Uh, Jalen Brown and Kyrie who were going off. That's uh, not really a hot take me just kind of venting. Um, there were lots of positives, but again, uh, Igor has to fix his rotation. Simply put, every game we play until we get a point guard, I have zero expectation. Something mm-hmm. has to change at the point guard spot as we've mm-hmm. been beating the dead horse uh, ever since last season. Uh, last uh, DeAndre Ayton looks like he's playing against glass opponents with the glass basketball out there. I'd love to see him more physical, put the ball on the court, and uh, you know, drop fouls, hammer some guys, knock some guys to the floor. That's fine. Just show that you're seven one two sixty and not six one one eighty. Marcus Morris, <laughs> the Phoenix Suns. I mean, I like the Phoenix Suns, but <laughs> sorry, organization. I'm tired of this. Shit. 
fucking die before they win a championship. Wow. Facts. Wow. Fuck Marcus Morris. <laughs> He's as bipolar as the rest of us. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, that was a pretty uh, good collective effort, I think, between, you know, you had some hot takes yeah. in there. You had some lukewarm takes as well. Um, some level-headed responses from, yeah. from our listeners. But, uh, you know, I also appreciate the uh, passion. <laughs> yeah, because that, we feel like that. We do feel like that. I think that's representative. I know it's kind of hard to hear sometimes people just venting and venting, but it's it's who we are, guys. We're Suns fans. <laughs> this is what we deal with. Um, now, I want to go through a couple of things that each of those guys talked about. Three guys taking heat there. Three guys together, I think, taking heat. First one's Isaiah Kanan. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Isaiah Kanan, because... It's not your fault that you're put in a position to to fail here, but you are. You're you're put in a position to fail, and I feel bad. I think you'd be. I think he'd be a really good backup point guard at this point, uh, especially with Elia Kobo just looking not ready uh, for this yet. I, I he just hasn't been great yet. The offense really bogs down with Elia Kobo on the floor, no penetration, uh, inability to get the ball inside. If you can't get the ball inside. Uh, as a guard, that's not a good sign. You're not going to make it in the NBA. And he's he's young, so he, he's got time to learn and get better. But right now, he's not showing that ability. Uh, so I feel bad, Isaiah Cannon. Yeah, one. Two, Igor, Igor Kokoshkov's taking heat there pretty hard. And the third guy, DeAndre Ayton, taking heat. So uh, let's spend the majority of our time here talking about Igor, how we feel about Igor. So we were tweeting after the Celtics game about rotations Mikhail Bridges needs to see more time. I think that's right now, that's sort of going to be the siren song for Suns fans. We're just going to save Mikhail Bridges. He's a solution to all the problems <laughs> One, at this point. 100%. It's just not. That's the thing is he's not. No, now, it's, not, it's not at all, but we're going to keep hearing it. Yeah, and I get why. He he should play a lot. He's he's a professional player, essentially. I think Yusuf, another thing Yusuf talked about, just get guys who are professional. This guy's professional. In that he's a very good basketball player and he seems to handle himself really well on the court, constantly giving it his all. Uh, just like Rashawn Holmes, you want to see those guys like that get minutes a lot. Um, now, Igor, though, how do you feel? Let's talk about him. How do you feel about Igor Kokoshkov so far? Now, I've been te- I tend to defend coaches, so I've been defending him up till now. There were some clear mistakes in the last few games. W- what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to continue to defer to the answer that he deserves a real point guard in a system before we judge it too heavily uh, or too harshly. But obviously, I, I'm not thrilled with the rotations overall. I do think he's been adaptive in the past few games. He put TJ in the starting lineup over Anderson. He's he stopped playing Anderson altogether, which is right. nice. Mikhail Bridges' minutes are slowly going up. Josh Jackson, who's been a disaster, his minutes are slowly going down. So I think if you look at the positions where he actually has a choice... His decision-making, for the most part, has been pretty good. At point guard, what choice does he have? I mean, we still have to play Isaiah Kanan, unless you really want to commit to point book full-time. Isaiah Kanan, Elliot Kobo, they're going to get a lot of minutes because there's just no one else on the roster. So I don't really see what we can do about that. Outside of making big mistakes, like in the Boston game, I do think Mikhail Bridges, to agree with all of the uh, callers who called into mm-hmm. us, I do agree Mikhail Bridges should have been playing in that final stretch because if Isaiah Kanan isn't going initiate, to uh, initiate the offense, you want Mikhail Bridges out there for his defense and just have Devin Booker running the show like he was already doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, I- I'm still going to defend Igor here. It's it's too early. What would it take for you to think Igor needs to be fired? So the Suns have lost wow. 10 games. I saw this. This is from Evan Sidery. Shout out to Evan. The Suns have lost 10 games. Eight of those 10 games, they've lost by 17 or more points. 
that's pretty bad. Yeah. They're 6 and 43 in their last 49 games. Now. Yes. Shout out to Chris Hansen. Shout out to for Chris Hansen. Ah, uh, yeah. yes. <laughs> so so the Suns didn't see it. <laughs> you can t- you can tell that. Um but it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad situations here and and it's it's a, a kind of a maybe the worst start we've ever seen from this team other than the three uh, Earl Watson games uh, last year. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it would take at this point because it's really difficult. This team should be better than last year, and so far they are not. Their differential is much, no. much worse than it's been last uh, from last season. So, a uh, couple things on that. So, I looked up the amount of minutes played by players so far this season, and 55% of the total minutes that Suns players have been played or have played this year are players that are new to the team entirely. More than half of the minutes played. So it makes sense that there's no chemistry. So I'm just trying to find reasons that this is all going down. Eight new players on the Suns that are actually playing and getting minutes. It's a lot of new guys on the team. Tyson Chandler's gone. Really, the only two guys that have played together more than one year are Devin Booker and TJ Warren. Beyond that, there's no chemistry at all. They're like playing with guys year over year. That does matter. That matters a lot, and it makes it really difficult for a coach to 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 find the right rotations. And to to go against the starting um, schedule that we've had so far, it's very difficult to judge a rookie coach with a rookie center, two other rookies that could potentially get minutes. Your best player is a fourth year player. Like there's not there's not a lot of experience and chemistry on this team, so it's difficult to judge so far. But I mean, I got to be honest. I I would say if I had to rate him just on what I've seen. It's not a good situation here. I think we have time to sort of see how it's going to go from here. But so far, not so good, I would say. Right, of course. You're right. It's not so good. There's no way you can look at what we're looking at and be happy with it. It's it's objectively awful. But we yeah. need to give it more time just because of the statement that it sends to other coaches around the league looking for open positions if the Suns fire their coach again before even giving him one full season. It's going to be uh, Rick, I mean that, Rick Pitino. It's going to be <laughs> Rick Pitino. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, part of me is like, maybe that's a good idea uh, because he's just the guy that's worked with so many young guys before. But this, can't, this team can't stay young together, even if we named our podcast The Timeline. Uh, let's move on to the next one here. Now, I got to warn people about this one. It doesn't make a lot of sense. First thing I want to tell you, it starts with the toilet flushing. Um, it's followed by a guy mentioning a Facebook meme that he saw about a billion lions <laughs> fighting the sun. And then he goes on to have an internal debate about how many gorillas it would take to fight the sun. I thought this was worthy of you guys listening to it as a little bit of a palate cleanser after listening to that last Celtics call. So let's get right into it, Sam. You ready? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I got a hot take. I'm tired of the sun. <laughs> I just saw this here meme. Mm-hmm. I just saw this here meme on my Facebook, and I it said, um, it said, uh, who you got in the fight? One billion lions with the sun. Nah, I, I got to thinking, what about a lion versus a gorilla in the fight? You know, who's gonna take that? I got the gorilla. <laughs> so how many uh, Phoenix Suns gorillas would it take to uh, to beat up the sun? The real son in this guy, not a Phoenix son. Oh, no such thing. I'm glad he clarified. Yeah. I got a, got a feeling it's about eight billion gorillas. You need to take down the sun. It's my hot take. <laughs> I'll have what you It's just having. a question. It's not even a hot take. 
What the fuck? All right. Let's um <laughs> let's say uh first of all, the sun would destroy any an infinite number of Phoenix Suns gorillas. <laughs> let's get that right off the bat. Yeah, the sun is just one giant atomic bomb constantly exploding on itself. Nothing can stop it. So I'm no scientist. Oh, we've but... we've solved that one. We've we've <clears throat> solved that one. <laughs> All right, let's do another one here. Um, This one is kind of the state that we're all in right now. Let's get right to it. Yer. Yer. What's going on? Yer. So it's obvious we're not ready. Whether you want to blame it on us being too young, Devin's too young, Michael, DA, we're all too young. Ariza, Anderson, too old, don't care. Igor's first year, whatever it is, we can't compete in the West. It's obvious. Playoffs, you can kind of rule it out. It's sad that we're talking about that the first couple weeks of NBA basketball, but you can kind of throw it out. So looking forward to the draft, I guess we can assume. A top three pick, hopefully. And I know the obvious answer would be Zion Williamson. Plug him in at four and defense automatic coming right in but the sleeper pick um i guess sleeper pick whatever you want to call it eric paschel of villanova pascal whatever paschel whatever his name is from villanova michael's former teammate national champion he's like 6'9 250 plug him in at four for automatic rim protection because obviously we're not getting that from da hopefully DA gets it together on the offensive side and we have Eric to lock us down with Josh and Michael. It would help us out defensively, which is what this deep with this team need defense at the bottom line. We gotta stop the other team from scoring and score more points. Bottom line. Simple as that. Boom. Boom. Look guys, I'm not gonna lie, I've been watching the Zion highlights too, but mm. I was hoping mm-hmm. we wouldn't give up on the season so soon. I was hoping it would be <laughs> it's a, so few depressing. More episodes, a few more episodes before <laughs> we had to start talking about the 2019 draft. Oh, man. We might have to make this a podcast about the actual sun. Now that we're experts, actually, <laughs> we're answering questions about it. So um, what do you think of Zion? Let's quickly talk about him. Um, yeah, well, so he's far and away. I mean, if he keeps playing like he's played through these first two games, Duke looks fantastic. He's, he's going to be yeah. far and away the number one pick. No disrespect to R.J. Mm-hmm. Barrett or Cam Reddish, but he's just his athleticism is is off the charts. It sounds so corny to say too, but the the um, overlap of of his athleticism being off the charts and also his passing game looks really good. Um, he he just has a great feel for the game and and he looks absolutely fantastic. Yeah, everyone's afraid to say LeBron, but that's what he looks like. He looks like a young LeBron. Yeah, I was I was look I was afraid to say it too, I but know. here's the thing: LeBron wasn't. LeBron wasn't that thick. Yeah, I mean, Zion's got some serious. He's got a real ability to come in next year and and bully NBA players out yeah, of the gate. Absolutely, he can eat Bender alive right now. I think he's listed at six six two seventy five. It's insane. Yeah. That's a massive, massive dude. Um, RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish, all three of those guys would look good on the Suns team right now. They would help us. That all three, any, any one of them would help. Zion, to me, uh, Zion's clearly the number one pick so far too. I, you know, like you said, it's a lot of the concerns about him. Uh, he's played really well in the first two games. Now it could change over time. Of course, everything changes over the course of a season. It so will. Who knows? Um, yeah. But 
he would fit right in. He's a guy who can get the rebound, push it down the court, and then find the the guy on the wing who could help, and maybe Mikael Bridges or yeah, De- I mean, Devin Booker. Plug Zion or RJ into this team, or Cam Reddish for that matter, yeah. and hey, maybe all of a sudden you actually have this thing called uh, pushing the pace, up-tempo, yeah. fast-break points. The Suns, over the past few seasons, oh. throughout all of those Eric Bledsoe, Goran Dragic, Brandon Knight years, had, despite this terrible offensive scheme that generated this stagnant half-court offensive basketball, the thing that always saved them and made them an above-average offensive team were fast-break points. They were a great transition team. They had guys that would leak out, and they would have point guards that would push the pace. This season, you know, arguably one of the the easiest ways to generate points for your offense, we just don't have any of that going for us right now. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I was going to bring that up in the Igor segment, and I I, I stayed away from it, but... How bad we've been at fast break points is really disappointing because I know that if you listen to what James Jones said in his last interview with uh, AZ Sports, uh, he talked about in the past few seasons maybe there were some things that the team did that uh, resulted in a few extra wins but created bad habits. Well, they've slowed down the offense a lot trying to create good habits. The problem is the rest of the NBA has sped up around them. And it just doesn't look good. <laughs> this team needs to get out on the break. And I know here's a problem. We don't have a guard that can do it. That's not really Devin Booker's game. He can attack the basket on his own and potentially get it, but he's just not that guy who's going to find people after doing, uh, you know, they used to call it the midget with Steve Nash, which is just holding your dribble while running under the basket. And that's difficult to do. Isaiah Cannon, can, we don't have a guard who can do it, basically. So there's not a lot of answers there, but it is disappointing. So any of those guys would help. I looked into Aris Pascal, too, and, and he looks pretty good, too. Um, it's just I don't know that he's at anywhere near any of those two guys as far as a prospect, plus he's 20. Yeah, he's I, I, to address that caller really quickly, um, Pascal, you know, just the likelihood of a senior being any higher than maybe the late lottery is usually yeah. pretty slim. It can happen, but you know, there's always a possibility this early okay. <laughs> out would be a good three and D system player coming out of Villanova again. Um, but yeah, I think those Duke guys are on top for now. Yeah. I think any of those guys would make us better. Um, so that's it. That's our first hot take hotline. Thank you so much for everyone that called us. I apologize if you didn't get to hear your call uh, on this time. Just continue to give us a call. We'll try and get some more stuff in future podcasts. Uh, coming up, you're going to hear one more call, and then you're going to hear my interview. Sam was sick, so I handled it on my own. My interview with Jackson Frank, who wrote an article that was headlined, It's Time for the Phoenix Suns to Start Mikhail Bridges. I have a feeling... Suns fans are going to like that article if they haven't read it already. Uh, So stick around, and we'll be right back. Uh, I don't really know how much of a hot take this should really be at this point, but Bridges should be starting. You should have a lineup, a starting lineup of Kanan, Booker, Bridges, Warren, Aiden. That's all I got. Joining me on the timeline is Jackson Frank. Senior sports editor at Gonzaga Bulletin. He covers the 76ers for the Athletic, Liberty Ballers, and he writes for the Step Back, which is a fan 
cited website. First off, congratulations, Jackson, on the Jimmy Butler trade. What a gift to anyone who actually writes about the 76ers. And I want to say, Jackson, thank you so much for joining me here on the timeline. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, I was reading uh, Mike O'Connor, who writes for uh, The Athletic, did kind of a a, he didn't do a film breakdown, but he kind of broke down exactly how uh, Jimmy Butler fit on the Sixers, and I think he ended it kind of like uh, either way, it won't be boring, which I think uh, is it's a good way to put it. You know, there's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be a fun ride. Uh, I think it's gonna go well, but even if it doesn't, there's gonna be a lot of moving parts and and fun things to cover one way or another. I think it's a good trade. I, I, I think it's a good trade for the 76ers. And like you said, it's going to be fun. I've noticed already this year the 76ers are on national TV constantly. So <laughs> having another uh, star on that team is good for me too as someone who just likes to watch the NBA on a day-to-day basis. So I'm really excited to see it happen. And the idea of it being uh, Mikhail, I'm sorry, it being Jimmy Butler on that team with Joel Embiid, that's a lot of personality for one team. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah, they definitely uh, got a got a hike in uh, national television games this year uh, compared to last. But but yeah, it'll 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 be fun. There's, as you said, there's a lot of a lot of personality uh, oozing from that team now between Embiid and Butler. So you wrote an article for Fansided with the headline: "It's time for the Phoenix Suns to start Mikhail Bridges." It's almost like you distilled everything that Suns Twitter <laughs> has been tweeting for the last few weeks into a single article. We're so happy for this article. <laughs> I am a massive uh, Mikhail Bridges fan. I'm really excited for him to be on this team. But what what was it about Mikhail Bridges for you that made you want to write this article about him? Um, well, I mean, I've been a fan of him for for a little while now too. Um, as, you, as, as you kind of alluded to, I, I go to Gonzaga, um, and he just absolutely torched uh, Gonzaga when those two teams faced off uh, last December. Um, and from there, I've just kind of always been on his uh, his bandwagon a little bit. Um, I think I had him top ten. I I tweeted this. I didn't have an official uh, big board anywhere documented, which I'm bummed about. But he was definitely a top ten guy for me. Um, and I think I think just the fact that Trevor Reese and Ryan Anderson have been disappointing in terms of what they've brought um, on both sides of the ball, and in the fact that the, the Suns aren't going to make the playoffs this year, and I, I get that maybe Trevor Reese and Ryan Anderson were going to be kind of your win now pieces and maybe get toward 30, 35 wins or something. But um, Bridges is, is looks has looked really good, and I think you have to explore how good uh, that trio of DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, and Mikhail Bridges can be together. Because pretty limited sample when I wrote that piece, but they had a really, really good net rating. Uh, and obviously, there's a lot of factors going to that. But, um, but yeah, I, I just think when you when you trade for a guy who's a top-ten pick, you should probably uh, put him next to your, your, franchise soup, your franchise star and your number one pick from that same draft uh, more than, I think it was like 20 minutes or something through, through 10 games or something when I wrote yeah. that piece. Um, yeah, yeah, and Ariza hasn't been good, and uh, Anderson's been really poor too. So um, I just think it was it was worth uh, it was worth writing about. Yeah, I think you you brought up an interesting point. They need to play more together. That's another frustration that a lot of Suns fans have had. Mikhail looks really good, and it's the thing is about Mikhail Bridges is the type of player that he is. He fits on every team. Uh, guys that are sort of low usage rate, and this is something that you wrote about, low usage rate players who s- spread the floor and play defense, that's like the mold for the <laughs> modern role player in the NBA. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm sure that's something that you noticed when you were watching him. Yeah, no, for, yeah, for sure. I mean, I obviously I can't say I've watched every Suns game and uh, and whatnot, but but when I've, wa- I've watched a couple at least uh, really closely, and whenever he's played, he just, he just makes a lot of nice plays. And then you, just, you watch clips um, of whatever he does in terms of the box score. And uh, just a really smart defender, obviously. He's not quite 
I think he's a guy who's he's a little bit like Robert Covington, um, going back to the Sixers in terms of not elite on the ball, but he's so smart off the ball with his rotations and within the passing lanes that it makes him an elite defender. Um, and it's just rare to see some of the instincts and, and things he can do as a defender already at this at this stage as a as a rookie, twelve, fifteen games in or whatever it is. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think just exploring that upside is really important. Um, I just, I, I cover the Sixers and. Um, they've kind of they've forced Marco Fultz and Ben Simmons to start together. Um, well, it hasn't really gone very well in terms of um, numbers. They have to do that because they have to see what what that pairing can do together. And I think um, in a similar way, you have to see what that trio can do of Aiton, Booker, and, and Bridges. But that fits a lot better right now than Fultz and Simmons doing. Uh, Bridges is just a guy who, you, like you said, can slide in anywhere. Um, he doesn't need a lot of shots. He doesn't need um, doesn't run, have to run a lot of pick and rollers or anything like that. You can just spot him up, run him off screens, let him do his thing, and. And hit, hit two or three threes a game, um, but yeah, just a really nice complimentary piece for two two guys in, in Booker and Aiton who kind of dominate the ball for the most part. I like what you said about his uh, on ball defense not being great. Or I mean, it's not that it's terrible; it's just sort of lagging behind his off ball defense. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he weighs like a hundred pounds. He's a really <laughs> skinny guy. He's got yeah. long arms, so he can still contest, but you can move him around a lot easier because of how skinny he is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, I think he's got a seven one or two wing. I think it's seven one. I can't remember. Um, seven foot one wingspan. Uh, but yeah, he's only uh, basketball reference only has him at uh, two hundred ten pounds. And so, um, while you think maybe he could be a one through four defender, he's more of a one through three just because he's a little slighter frame to guard a lot of power forwards. But um, and he's not super quick on the ball. That I think that was kind of his biggest concern for a lot of people is the general lack of elite athleticism in terms of translating to the NBA. Um, but he's kind of proven so far to, to just be a really, really smart, effective player on both sides of the ball. Um, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I've been really high on him for a while. Um, I like a lot of things he can do. I think he's, he's pretty solid attacking closeouts too, and guys trying to rush him off the line, which I think is a really important, mm-hmm. uh, trait for players who shoot a lot of three pointers and have a lot of their offensive usage composed of just spotting up. And so if, if teams can rush you off the line, you can't really do anything then, uh, they're going to throw a bunch of sloppy closeouts at you uh, every day of the week. But if you can if you can make a couple of plays off the dribble, hit a pull-up jumper every now and then, I think um, that forces defense to kind of respect you a little more and be disciplined with their closeouts. Um, and that's that's what I've been impressed with watching uh, Bridges. Uh, he hasn't done a ton. He hasn't had the opportunity a ton yet in, in Phoenix, but I really liked what he did last year at Villanova in terms of uh, creating off the bounce a little bit after closeouts. I'm glad you brought that up because one thing I want to talk about is Mikhail Bridges' ceiling. Now, he's a top 10 player, or top 10 pick, I should say, uh, picked early in the draft, really good so far, uh, has shown a lot of ability to shoot threes. He's actually attacked the basket fairly good. But one of the things that has been a criticism of his game is his inability to create his own shot. A lot of people think that if you play that position, in order to be a top player at that position, you need to have a single dribble or a two dribble pull up off of the pump fake or something to actually attack closeouts if they are closing out on him. And that hasn't really, I don't know that he's taken a single mid-range jumper, maybe one or two so far this season just from watching every single game. He just doesn't seem to do it. Um, does that matter in the modern NBA, in your opinion? Does it matter if he if he doesn't have the ability to attack that? Or maybe he's been coached not to. We don't really know what's happening behind the scenes, but do you think that really matters? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think definitely having a counter to to what when teams try to take away your bread and butter is important. Um, but one thing that I really liked about Bridges' uh, pre-draft is he just got so much better from his first to his last year at Villanova um, in terms of adding a ton of things to his game. And so I... I was kind of hedging hedging uh, a bet and thinking he's going to do kind of the same uh, in the NBA. And so I, I while it doesn't sound like he's done a ton of that yet, um, 
well, as you as you pointed out, I, I think he's eventually going to get there. And I, I would say it matters to an extent, um, but but I but I, I don't think I don't think people drafted or, or teams were going to draft Mikhail Bridges as a, as a franchise centerpiece, and nor should they have. Um, and I think the the Suns uh, didn't draft him like that. They they have Booker, they have Aiton, um, and Bridges, and so I think just I think just being able to be that complimentary piece is really important. But yeah, I, I think there's definitely got to be a little bit more development in terms of what he can do. Uh, once he's pushed off the three-point line, but but like I said, I, I think I think he showed that ability every now and then at um, at, at Villanova, and I, I would imagine as his his t- playing time increases over the next over the season and his next few years, uh, we'll see more of that. But um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's super important if he never really develops a one-drill pull-up. Yeah, he might not hit his his ceiling, um, but I just think he he's already such a good three-point shooter and uh, def- defender that um, it won't matter that much he'll still be a really positively impactful player in a big role yeah i think that's true and i think with a guy like him when you're already so good at those things that he does right now uh when you develop you can focus on those sort of problem areas of your game i think that he's got a lot to do he can he can actually attack that closeout a little more right now he's trying to get to the rim and he's making some smart passes there's been a few turnovers though and it's been an interesting experience so far but i i you know as you wrote in your piece he's he's got the highest net rating on the team (laughs) now one thing i want to talk about though Josh Jackson. So you obviously have put Mikhail Bridges above Ryan Anderson, which is fair. Ryan Anderson's <laughs> been just garbage so far. I feel bad for him, really, to be honest. He's our highest paid player, and he's been very bad. And our second highest paid player is Trevor Ariza. So you've also, in your mind, he's already above Trevor Ariza in the depth chart as well. And that obviously squarely puts him ahead of Josh Jackson as well. Josh Jackson was a number four pick, Mikhail Bridges being a number 10 pick. Josh Jackson obviously has potential he was picked as a guy with very high potential a lot of people compared him to guys like Kawhi Leonard coming out of the draft now we all know that does not seem to be the case so far first off how dare anyone compare him to Kawhi Leonard when Josh Jackson has T-Rex arms he he just doesn't have arms long enough you you look at Mikhail's length on the court it really really makes it obvious how short Josh Jackson's arms are so it's been odd but how do you feel as someone who sort of is watching the Suns from an outsider's perspective um, a lot of Suns fans have sort of been on this weird up and down with Josh Jackson. Some people are already saying to give up now. I think it's way too premature to give up on Josh Jackson so far. But how do you feel about Josh Jackson's development so far in the NBA? Yeah, no, he he's a guy I, I really liked um, coming out of Kansas. So I, I think right now I have to have to wait. Not, I'm not waving the white flag, but I think I have to kind of say that was, that was a miss for me. I think I had him third or fourth or something, uh, right around where he was drafted uh, on my on my. Uh, draft rankings um i thought i thought his athleticism and, and all that and the passing and all that was going to translate um and it just hasn't um I'd like to point out that i'm on his basketball reference page his nicknames are lame they're j jack and jj <laughs> um i'm sure he has other ones that, that aren't are here but uh very disappointed a lot of times like well i'll tell you one let's hear it so earl watson when earl watson was a coach of um the sons, you know, that vaunted Earl, Earl Watson, one of the greatest coaches in the history of the NBA, of course. He said that Josh Jackson, he's a motherfucker. <laughs> so uh, on Reddit, uh, Josh Jackson's nickname has become the motherfucker, which right, actually that, is a pretty good nickname. For no, him. I, I like that one. I, that, that, that yeah. works for me. Um, but yeah, just disappointing mm-hmm. by those names. Usually we get some creative ones on, on basketball reference. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I wrote a piece last year, um, maybe right, right around February, um, right when Josh Jackson kind of started to turn the corner. Um, seemed like the game was slowing down for a little bit, and he was kind of uh, 
lean into some of his off his off ball uh, potential as a cutter and whatnot. Uh, and I I liked where he was at. I I did have concerns about uh, his shooting potential just because the form is is pretty uh, wonky and his mechanics don't really seem to stay consistent in terms of his base and his release and all that. So yeah, I've been pretty disappointed with him. Uh, I, I clearly thought he kind of turned a corner towards the end of the year last year. Uh, he hasn't built off that. His numbers are just uh, downright ugly. No matter where you look at field goal percentage, three point percentage, free throw percentage, they're all really. Really putrid, obviously. I'm sure you you know as a Suns fan and, and watching mm-hmm. them this this year. Um, I would agree it's too early to give up on him. Give up on him. He's only played less than 100. He's only played fewer than 100 games in his career. But but I I understand and, and kind of uh, sympathize with a lot of fans who are um, very discouraged with with how he's uh, developed and grown uh, so far. But but I think that that kind of points to the idea that or it goes back to almost a little bit with McHale and that I mean. You gotta play him, right? I mean, you invested a four, you, number mm-hmm. four pick to him, um, and if you're not gonna be very good, you gotta kind of let these guys run wild and explore their game and and kind of let them experiment more. But but yeah, so I mm-hmm. I understand why he's not getting a ton of playing time at least recently. I think I think I saw that the other day he didn't even he didn't even play. Um, let's see here, the second half of a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah and he, he only got six minutes against Brooklyn, five minutes against uh, Boston, um, and, and so yeah, I I understand that obviously you can't just Lately, start blowing games uh, in mid-November, um, but at the same time, you have to prioritize development because I mean they're two and ten, two and ten. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think he's been very disappointing. And while I while I understand there's a lot less optimism there than there's a lot less optimism now than there was in, in, back in April after he kind of uh, picked things up at the end of the year. Um, I I understand that I understand the. Uh, discouraging uh, sentiments from people but and I, I i definitely kind of agree with it he's been really underwhelming um just kind of tends to play really erratically it seems like um and doesn't quite mm-hmm. really understand what he's supposed to be doing on the court you know like he has a lot of mm-hmm. kind of has a lot of different things going he can he can at his peak he could probably do a lot of different things but he kind of seems like he tries to do all of them at once a lot uh in the he's game a motherfucker just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and i think we saw flashes of that too much uh even in summer league uh, i think he was a guy that you, yeah. you especially after the end of the year, yeah, you wanted him to play really well and kind of dominate like you, like a lot of second-year guys yeah. do. Uh, and he, he did the opposite of dominating for the most part. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just a tough guy to read. I think you have to be pretty low on, on his outlook moving forward. But at the same time, it doesn't mean you should give up on him or he shouldn't get minutes because he's a guy that if he does reach a ceiling, he's going to be a nice a nice piece uh, for, for the Suns. And while it's unlikely he reaches a ceiling, if he can become, if he can become some – Zemblin to resemble a, a formidable NBA player that that uh, while it may be not worth a number four pick, it at least gives them some value around uh, Booker, Aiton, and and Bridges and, and whoever. So, okay, so I have a couple more things I want to ask you about <laughs> related to your coverage with the 76ers. So <laughs> the Suns, as you know, need a point guard. <laughs> and it just so happens that the 76ers have one that they're not playing in TJ McConnell and one that they might be a little ready to give up on, especially with a guy like Jimmy Butler joining uh, in Markel Fultz. Now, what do you think, first of all, just quickly, do you think there's any likelihood that either of those guys get traded anytime soon? Uh, I, w- I would bet that McConnell's a lot more likely to be to be traded uh, soon. I, I, I'm not ruling out that they move uh, Fultz. I think... I think the the discussion there has to you have, it's a it's a fine line with Fultz because I don't think the, the organization is at all ready to give up on him, but because he has such a big cap hold, I think it's like ten million a year. 
um, getting off of his contract could open up another max uh, max contract deal, I think, for them um, in the summer, even mm-hmm. if they re-sign Butler. So I think that's that's the bigger thing. I think it's less an indictment of their confidence in him long-term and more that uh, trading for Butler signals that they're ready to win now. And so if they can get if they can move off of him and then sign another guy like Chris Middleton or something like that this summer. Um, oh. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that's been tossed around a lot in terms of just Sixers fans really like him. I, I, there's nothing that's that's really linked, interesting. Been, been, been linked to him. But um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's a free agent. I, I think obviously Milwaukee looks really good, so I'd be surprised if he leaves. But just just throwing a name out there that I think um, would work really well mm-hmm. for the Sixers. And then um, Mc, McConnell, I think, is a lot more likely to trade. As you said, he's, he's been out of the rotation. Played last night, actually, but they were because they had like nine active men or whatever um, oh, with yeah. injuries in, in, with injuries in the mm-hmm. trade, uh, kind of in, in, lump, in limbo. I have a few pitches for you, a few pitches just for All trades right. and just see All how right. you feel. So first off, for McConnell. Uh, second round pick, the Suns' second round pick next season, along with Troy Daniels, who shoots on catch and shoots, shoots over 42% from three. So I know the Sixers need shooters. Do you think that's something that Sixers brass would be interested in at all? Yeah, I mean, I think I think to an extent, um, the only issue is that, uh, well, Daniels is a, is a pretty dang good shooter. Um, they have two two defensive liabilities at shooting guard already and Redick and, and Landry Shamit. Um, so that's the issue as well. It would add shooting. I don't know what the what the path to playing time for Daniels is, even though he mm-hmm. he provides a valuable trait. Uh, I, he would basically be fourth on the shooting guard. JJ Redick insurance. Yeah, I, yeah. Gu- I guess third. It depends on whatever whatever you view Jimmy Butler as as a, as a two or a three. Um, mm-hmm. But but it would be tough to find a lot of playing time for Daniels. Uh, I think they'd be more looking for a, a three slash four they could shoot, um, just because they're the low on wing depth and, and low on shooting wing depth, especially with. Uh, Covington gone and, and Zaire Smith, a guy who they that probably plays a little bit this year, but hasn't doesn't look like he'll be a, a big high volume shooter, even if he does get minutes. Um, so I, I think in a vacuum, it's not a bad it's not bad value. But I but when you look at the roster construction of uh, Philadelphia, it's tough to see Daniels getting right. any right. any uh, rotation minutes with with Shamit uh, playing pretty well as a rookie and, and Redick doing doing his right. thing for the eighth straight year, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Landry Shamit so far. So two more, and then I'll let you go. Um, how about a, I know that you talked about Mark Hill Fultz. Mark Hill Fultz is actually a pretty high paid rookie. As you know, the rookie contracts, the yeah, scale n- for the rookie n- number contracts one has gone up gets, and up and up. a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, as we know now as a Suns fan with DeAndre Aiden. So what about a package of, this is the first one I'll pitch at you, uh, Josh Jackson for, um, Mikhail Bridges. Now this doesn't necessarily help. I'm sorry, yeah, Josh Jackson for uh, Markel Fultz. Now, this doesn't really help the, the cap space situation for next year, but it is an interesting thing in that it provides you a guy that could potentially provide defense. It's more of a wing player, and then you can slot up your, your point guards, uh, move them up in, in, the, in, the, in the rotation lineup a little bit. The other one is a package built around Trevor Ariza. Trevor Ariza, an awesome wing player, a defender, a veteran, a guy who shoots threes, a guy who plays defense, and an expiring contract, a guy who makes $15 million that comes off the books next year. So you'd have to clear and send probably some more uh, other than Markel Fultz. And we'd, of course, have to find ways, maybe the Bucks pick to actually give you some value beyond this year with uh, a guy like Trevor Reza. But Trevor Reza would fit right in, in in your quest for a title there, I think, in Philadelphia. How do you feel about either one of those options? Yeah, I think the former intrigues me a, a lot more. Uh, I, I think the issue with... With, I, I think there's I think there's some allure with with Josh Jackson kind of being maybe a reclamation project as as Phoenix hasn't shown to be really the best the optimal place for development over the years for guys. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but but I think at this point the the Sixers are are less inclined to value development, um, and so yeah. I and I think, like I said, I, I don't think they've necessarily given up on Fultz. I think a lot of the, the discussion around moving him is just purely from a financial standpoint, um, and so mm-hmm. I, I I I don't know exactly what Josh Jackson makes. I know it's obviously less than than Fultz because uh, he wasn't the number one pick. Uh, I'm going to mm-hmm. find it here in the next minute or so, but I don't think. I just don't think there's a lot of uh, there's just not enough upside there to, to warrant it. Um, I, I I think it makes some sense, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean Josh Jackson's uh, his contract's two years, eleven million, so uh, about five million less than than Fultz. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's crazy I, I think, how big those contracts are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how and how much they they kind of uh, decrease from the first pick all the way to like the third or fourth pick. It's it's insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fultz's contract is three years, twenty-five million, but he's he's owed uh, eight point three this year and nine point seven next year. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think it's tough. I just don't think they're really in the market to kind of find right. more more reclamation, not reclamation, but guys who need a lot of time to develop. Um, right. That would give them two wings who can't really shoot um, between Zaire <laughs> Smith and and Josh Jackson. Yeah. So I think it, that would be tough. They're really high on Zaire Smith, obviously, but. Uh, yeah. it's, he's going to have to become a more willing shooter to really have a, a big role long term. The, the second I like more, um, obviously, Reza has his numbers are, are awful. Uh, when I've watched it, it just seems like he's not really playing inspired. Um, is right. that is that fair? Does it, does it look like he's lost his temper? Or does it more just look like he's really uh, apathetic in terms of? Uh, it's funny that you use the word fair because I wouldn't call it that, but that is what's happening. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, here's the thing. No, I, here's one thing I think about Trevor Reza. And I talked about this on our last podcast. I think that the Trevor Reese experience from now on will be a guy who is up and down. I don't think that he's. it's possible for him to be consistent on a day-to-day basis in this point of his career. But when he brings it, he brings it. He's a good defender. He can attack the rim. He can attack closeouts. He can hit threes. He can hit contested threes. And when he really locks in on a guy he wants to defend, he can lock him down. So he, he brings it when he brings it. If you move for a guy like Trevor Reza, the idea would be that you'd be moving for him when you're in the playoffs and you need a versatile guy who can defend multiple positions. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. I I was I liked Trevor Reza for a lot of, a lot of teams this summer. Um, I think I think he would have been a good fit on the Sixers, and uh, I still think that. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think you obviously have to take these numbers with a grain of salt. I mean, you, it's only been two games now, but obviously, it looks like Tyson Chandler has some role on a playoff team, and yeah. the Lakers are. There's no point guard on the Suns. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I think that's really hurting the Suns. Um, but but yeah, I I think Reza is a nice a nice target. What what, exa- what what exactly was the offer going to be? Was it just Fultz for for Reza or what? What was your hypothetical? I would say Ariza. We have, we own the Bucks pick next year, which isn't a great oh, pick. Yeah. But, uh, but Markel Fultz is also a, a massive question mark, so I wouldn't give up too much for him at this point, and I don't think anyone would. Which is what sort of leans to the Sixers keeping him and, and working on it. Because if you can't get high value for a number one pick, then why trade him? That might as well uh, sort of ride it out and see what he can do. Mm-hmm. But if you need that space, if you because there's a possibility of. Uh, the 76ers re-signing Jimmy Butler and signing another max contract. I think that's a, that's a risk you got to take, but who knows? I think yeah, if it was a reason in the Bucks pick, um, which yeah, I mean he's probably going to be either late teens or early twenties. Um, still a lot of value mm-hmm. there. I mean that's where they got Shamit uh, in the mid yeah. twenties, and obviously Shamit has his flaws, and he's only shooting like thirty eight percent from the field, but uh, clearly looked to have a rotation spot on, on a playoff team. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's something that, that they could be looking toward if, if that if they are trying to free up space for a, for a second max contract, um, then yeah, I think that's something you would certainly have to consider. And um, I, I think it would be a nice, a nice, 
a nice piece for for the Suns. Um, I I'm, I still think Fultz can be a a pretty dang good player, even if he never really finds his mm-hmm. jump shot again. Um, I think he's he's shown flashes recently too. Um, playing a lot better mm-hmm. defense uh, over the last mm-hmm. uh, five or six games and attacking the pretty, rim. Yeah, and he's a pretty good passer too. I think his assist to turnover ratio is pretty dang good. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think he definitely He'd has, be the best has point role. guard on the Suns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which obviously is a pretty low bar, but um, yeah, but yeah, I think I think that's that's something that they could they could explore. Um, I guess the only the only issue is you, you just worry that is is all of Ariza's struggles. Uh, because he's playing on a bad team now, whereas he played with the Rockets right. for the last three or four years, and they were they were competitive yep. each year. And if that's not the case, um, then you're locking a new guy who's not as good a shooter, and he's struggling, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think I think that type of deal is something they they should and and probably will be exploring um, a shooter and a a shooter slash defender and and a pick or something uh, for Fultz. Obviously, uh, his value isn't isn't super high right now, but I think there's enough upside with him. Um, among some some NBA teams and, and owners and, and GMs and stuff, that uh, you can still get a fair amount of value for him and and add some more shooting and, and defense to that to uh, that, right. uh, that four spot. All right, Jackson, thank you so much for playing the imaginary trade game with me. <laughs> uh, December fifteenth is when Trevor Ariza can be traded. If you were wondering, so if he got, if that does happen, that made up trade that I just made up now. Uh, <laughs> if that does happen, I expect you to come back on. We can talk about it at that point. Uh, Jackson Frank, that's Jackson Frank underscore <laughs> J f or sorry jjf um on twitter he writes for the athletic liberty ballers uh, the step back which is a fan-sided site um do you have anything else that you would like to plug jackson uh i i will have a a piece on, on karis levert tomorrow and uh on, on the step back um karis levert's one of my favorite karis young players uh yeah he's, he's, so he's been awesome this year and, and the the nets kind of quietly been been okay um yeah. They're going to make the playoffs, I think. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think what I wrote about, and I, I just, I wrapped it up. I just got to read through it again. But um, yeah, she's kind of focused on how Levert can maybe kind of t- take them to the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're they're in the eighth seed right now. Um, their schedule moving forward is pretty easy, and they already played the Warriors twice, um, mm-hmm. so they've had a pretty hard schedule, and they even have a positive net rating. They got the doors blown off of them yesterday by the Warriors. So uh, yeah, I really like Levert, and I think if the Nets decide not to tank and. Um, which they totally could tank because it's the first year they've had their own pick since 2013 or 2014 or whatever it was. Um, that that could certainly be the case. But if they want to compete, they definitely have a good a good chance. Uh, Kenny Atkins is a good coach. They have a fair amount of talent, and uh, they're fun. They're a fun team. So yeah, I'll have a piece on Levert and the Nets. Uh, hopefully out tomorrow. I'm I'm submitting I'm submitting it tonight. Submitting it tonight. So I don't know if my editor. Uh, if he, I imagine I'll post it tomorrow, but. Um, in the next few days, I'll have a piece on Karis Levert. It was, is my, well, that was my long way of saying that simple phrase. <laughs> I will keep an eye out for that. <laughs> I'm a big fan. He absolutely murdered the Suns, so I got to see it firsthand. <laughs> He's yeah. been in- incredible this season. It makes it, At first, I was like, why would they not give up Karis Levert for Jimmy Butler? And then I watched him play, and now I understand it. He's, he, he gets paid a lot less, and he's, he's providing about the same value at this point. So I completely understand it. So yeah, thank big, you so much Levert for fan. joining me, Jackson. Really happy that we had you on. I really appreciate all you've brought to this podcast so far. Uh, we'll keep an eye out. Everyone follow him on Twitter. Look for those articles. Definitely read the uh, It's Time for the Phoenix Suns to Start Mikhail Bridges article. It's like porn for Suns fans, basically. So everyone <laughs> take a look at that. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast. Thank you, everyone, who's rated and reviewed us on iTunes and your podcast devices. Get well soon to Sam and stick around for one little extra call here at the end. 
It's 1045 and I'm just calling to say f Robert Sarver. Thank you. Hey, Tim Tompkins here from the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. So you just got done listening to the Timeline Podcast. Mike and Sam do a great job. I listen to every single episode. And if you're like me, you want even more Sun's content. So since you've wrapped up this episode of the Timeline, head on over and subscribe to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. Chances are we have a new episode that you will enjoy. The Sun Solar Panel Podcast, available on iTunes, Google Play, and basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.